We'll start off with a verse that we ended with on Sunday, which is John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. Do you know the most famous verse in the Bible? Can you quote it? Can we try it? Can we quote it? John 3, 16, for... Well, so at least Elijah has it, right? Um, so the proliferation of English translations, I think, has made it a little more difficult for us all to quote something exactly the same way. The likelihood is that you may have heard this many times in the King James Version, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's your John 3.16 version. Um, the New American Standard, uh, the 2020 update, which uh, if you're online will appear right here. If you're here in the room, oh, I didn't even bring the screen down. I just gestured and forgot that I didn't even do that. Lodge, if you could do that for me. And if you're in the room, there's nothing for you to see here, nothing for you to see. Well, at least you already know this verse. Um, here it is in uh, the uh, 2020 update of the New American Standard Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now that's kind of limited because the, the word monogenes means the one and only, right? His only son that everyone who believes in him, not whosoever, but everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. All right. So let's just take a look at that very quickly. Again, I concluded with this verse that you could, you know, we could do a, a lot on this. Um, but this is the essential, central Christian message of hope. If you memorize this verse, you've memorized the gospel. You really have, right? Um, if you have not memorized it and you guys were kind of spotty on it, um, then I would encourage you, take your favorite translation and memorize it in that. Uh Commentator F.F. Bruce writes this, if there is one sentence more than another which sums up the message of the fourth gospel, which is John, it is this, the love of God is limitless. It embraces all mankind. No sacrifice was too great to bring its unmeasured intensity home to men and women. I really like that. God's love as unmeasured intensity. That's a really good way to look at it. The best that God had to give, he gave his only son, his well-beloved. Nor was it for one nation or group that he was given. He was given so that all, without distinction or exception, who repose their faith in him. I like that too. What does repose mean? It's rest, right? So repose their faith in him. That's like saying trust, okay? might be rescued from destruction and blessed with the life that is life indeed, right? So it says, for God so loved. The word there is the, uh, the verb form of agape. You heard this word agape, this Greek word agape? That's the only reason that I bring it up, right? Agapao is the, the, uh, the Greek verb of that, Um it is unconditional. That means you don't earn it. It is universal. 
That means it is for everybody. And it is proven by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So it's sacrificial. When I teach my series on love, I always lay this out as the foundational love for all of the other expressions of love or the other loves. So if you want to measure your love, you measure it by God's love. God is love. And he proved his love through his son, Christ. He demonstrates his love through Christ. For God so loved the world. This is not the world system. Often Paul refers to the world in a, in a very negative light, right? He says, do not love the world. So this, this would seem to be at odds, right? This is where you need to have context. So here it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if you love the world, the love of the father is not in you. What? Well, Paul is talking about the world system. He's talking about the fallen world. He's talking about the world outside and apart from God. Here, um, we're talking about the people of the world. That's you and I. That's the people in the fallen world as well, but we're focused on the people, not the world system, not the way the world works, so to speak. So um, God loves the people of this world who are lost and who are separated from him and who are dominated by the flesh and the devil. Uh, when Jesus went into Jerusalem, he was burdened. He said that these people that he was looking on, were they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, God feels so strongly for those harassed, helpless people, us, that he sent his one and only son. So God loves people so much with such intensity that he gave his unique son as a sacrifice of atonement. That's what begotten means, right? His only born son. We can become sons and daughters of God through adoption. We can become sons and daughters of God as we saw in the very first chapter of John, John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become or to be children of God, even to those who believed in his name or on his name, okay? We become children of God by adoption. We become children of God through Christ. Jesus was born of God. He was born through the Virgin Mary, right? But he is considered the eternally begotten son. He is the monogenes. He is the one and only son. So I've done this before uh, in a church service where there are more people present, but are any of you an only child? Is anyone in this room an only child? No, me either. But if you were an only child, you would be a monogenes. Jesus is the only son. That's what it means, okay? Um. He becomes the sacrifice of atonement for sins. Remember, John the Baptist said in, back to the first chapter of John again, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's atonement, right? That's propitiation. That is Jesus taking upon himself the sin of the world and then dying in our place and then overcoming death, right? And then uh, God so loved the world, that whoever believes, that everyone who believes in him. So this isn't limited to a select few. The offer of redemption and restoration is available to anyone and everyone who will put simple faith in Jesus. I need you to get that. There are segments of uh, theology, people who believe a certain way in the church that would say, no, Jesus only died for the chosen. He only died for the elect. No, he did not. 
Jesus died for everybody. He died for every last solitary soul on earth. Every human being that has ever been born or ever will been born, it will, will be born. Jesus died for them. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus can be saved. Amen? Not just the frozen chosen few. Anybody and everybody. We all have that offer, that privilege to put our faith in Jesus, right? Um, that's why God's love is universal, okay? It's not just for a certain nation. It's not for a certain denomination. It's not for a certain type of person. It is for anyone and everyone, whosoever uh, believes can be saved. And then he says, they will not perish. So here it doesn't use the word saved. It will use that, uh, the text will use that in the next verse. That means the escape from the natural fate of every fallen human being, which is eternal destruction, hell, eternal separation from God. Listen to what it says in Revelation 20, 15. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life, this is the Lamb's book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. That's eternal destruction. Your name is written in the book of life when you put your faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Whoever puts their faith in him then will not perish, but have eternal life. This isn't merely everlasting life. That's the, the word everlasting is used in the King James. But there, I think, and I'm not alone in this, um, there's a quality of life that is attached to this word eternal life, right? It is life, in another state, right? I don't mean like in Oklahoma. I mean in another state of being. It's not just everlasting life in your current state. That's exhausting, frankly. I mean, I just turned old uh, the other day. I won't say how old, but old enough to know better. And I will tell you, I certainly don't want to die tomorrow or anything like that. I, you know, I've got plenty of work left here to do. And, you know, I want to live my life for the Lord and finish strong. But I can't imagine, I'm having a hard time even imagining living as long as Vernon did. Now, I mentioned Vernon because today is the third anniversary of his passing. Uh, our oldest member, Vernon Yeager, uh, passed away at 3 a.m. three years ago on March the 15th. And so, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of him. He was 96 and a half years old. That's me living for a long time more, and I'm tired now. So I'm not saying I want to die in 10 years or something like that, but everlasting life just doesn't sound appealing to me. However, eternal life in the presence of God does sound appealing because there's a quality of life where we have eternal pleasures at his right hand. Or I like this from Psalm 36, 8 and 9. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house and you allow them to drink from the river of your delights for the fountain of life is with you in your light. We see light. That's what I want to have. Is that what you want? Right? Is that what you want? Then you put your faith in Jesus. That's how you get that. The question is, do you believe? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Right? Not just a, a mental assent, but have you reposed your faith in him? Have you trusted him, right? 
Um, let's go to the next verse, John three seventeen. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so the world might be saved through him. Now, it should be said here that people expected that the Messiah was going to judge people. Jesus will judge. He tells us very clearly later in John that the Lord has, uh, God Almighty, the Father, has given all judgment into his hands. But what he's telling us is the reason he came the first time was not for the purpose of judgment. Now, this is where John the Baptist got confused. Now, we don't see this in uh, the Gospel of John, but in the synoptics, after John the Baptist is put in prison, and Jesus doesn't act in judgment. Jesus doesn't act to overthrow Rome. John didn't completely understand, right? Now, obviously, from the gospel of John's perspective, John did understand that Jesus was going to address sin and take away the sins of the world. But apparently, John the Baptist did expect that Jesus would uh, occupy this office of being the judge of the world. Well, he is, and he will, and that's very much a theme in Scripture. However, that's not why he came the first time, okay? Jesus will return to judge the world, but he came for the first time to save the world. He came to save the lost people of the world. That's repeated in John 12, 47. Christ has inaugurated a period of salvation from sin, an age of grace, if you will. He, this is a period when we can be released from sin and death and hell. Um, today is the day of salvation, the Apostle Paul writes. Now is the time of God's favor. And we just looked at that not too long ago in our study in Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Right Now, this is where it uses the word saved. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Well, if you've been involved in a gospel preaching church, you've probably heard that word a lot. Do you understand what it means? Okay. Has anybody ever asked you, are you saved? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Right? That used to be kind of the way that you, you know, began a conversation with somebody if you wanted to share the gospel. Well, are you saved, sister? Are you saved, brother? Okay, we've sort of gotten away from that, right? We don't really entirely understand what this word saved means. Saved from what? Again, saved from eternal death, saved from hell. But more importantly, Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but so the world might be saved through him. Saved from what? What is hell? Is hell the devil's kingdom? Is that what it is? Is hell uh, us being taken away by the devil and being under his power? No, incorrect. Hell is God's judgment against sin. Hell is the wrath of God being poured out. What we're saved from is the judgment of God. What we're saved from is condemnation. What we're saved from is the wrath of God. That's what we're saved from. The wrath of God that will be poured out on every person who rejects the atoning sacrifice of Christ for their sins. You don't need to fear the devil, friend. You need to fear God. That's what we're missing in the world today is a healthy fear of God. The fear of God will steer you away from a lot of stupid decisions, right? If you just think, oh, I would really like that. I'd like to do this. I'm really mad and I feel like I want to do that. Judgment day is coming. 
That inspires the fear of God. That will steer you clear of being foolish. So um, today, humans express their sinful identity, right? Their separation from God in a variety of ways. We hear people say, I identify as, fill in the blank, right? In truth, you either receive salvation in Christ and eternal life, or you die in your sinful identity and you get judged for it. I identify as. We can't go on in sin willfully, forsaking the knowledge of the truth, right? Listen to what uh, the scripture says here. You're either, in other words, you're either saved or you're lost, okay? You're either, you've either been rescued from the wrath of God by Jesus, or you are a child of wrath. Listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They will not go to heaven. The unrighteous will not go to heaven. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those who habitually, who nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Period. Do you fear God? People today don't. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality. Notice that's the first thing mentioned in both of these. Impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You need to be saved. I need to be saved. There is no faith apart from repentance. And there is no salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. The end for all those who reject Christ in favor of their sinful lifestyles and identities is eternal destruction, as we've already seen. Listen to what, um, after another lengthy list of sinful behaviors and lifestyles, the Apostle Paul concludes with this statement in Ephesians 5, 6. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you fear God? We cannot make it up as we go along. It's not about identifying with a particular tribe or party or group that agrees with me. Your communal agreement in a particular idea or lifestyle, right, or moral behavior doesn't make it right, doesn't change what God has created. So the question is, are you saved? You can be saved by putting your faith in Jesus. Next verse, John three eighteen, The one who believes in him, that is in Jesus, is not judged the one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, that's the essential point. Have you put your faith in Jesus or not, right? So later in John, we're going to hear some people ask Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God, to do the things that God wants? And Jesus says, this is the work of God. You ready for it? 
that you believe in the one whom he sent. That's the work of God. In Christ, we don't need to have fear of the impending judgment of God upon all people. And everybody will be judged. You say, well, wait a minute. It just said that you won't be judged. Hang on for a second. It's that that tension that we're dealing with, uh, the same as we dealt with the tension earlier about the, the word world, right? Paul says, don't love the world. And Jesus says in John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world. It's using the term in different senses. You don't just look at a word and say, it's always used the same way, okay? What are we talking about here? In Christ, we don't have to fear the impending judgment. Jesus said this in John 5, 24, just a few chapters ahead of where we are now, a couple of chapters ahead. Truly, truly, I say to you, that double amen again, the one who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. So there it is, heaven, eternal life with God, because he is um, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. For those in Christ, judgment is not about being weighed in the balance and found lacking. The weight of Jesus' sacrificial merit pushes the scales ever in our favor. Judgment for us will be about Um, reward. It will be about whether and in what way we are rewarded for investing our lives in him. You can't waste your life down here and spend it on yourself and expect that nothing will happen. There are rewards there, right? And I've mentioned in here on a number of occasions that uh, there are three different crowns that are offered to those, right, who have overcome in this life. Well, what happens when you arrive at the judgment bar of Christ and you've just spent your life on yourself? You believe in Jesus, but you've just done everything for yourself. Well, there will be no tears in heaven, but I think there will be tears shed at the judgment bar of Jesus. I think there will be a sense of shame there when you realize that Jesus did everything for you and you just didn't live your life for him. You lived your life for yourself, okay? Um, And in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, the apostle Paul talks about someone who's who's wasted work on this this earth, you know, when they, they did their works for themselves, would be burned up right? Like a house that catches on fire. But he said, but you will be saved, but like someone running out of a burning building, right? So you just barely escaped the flames of hell. Well, at least you're saved. But why go to heaven that way? Why not live your life for Jesus now? Why live your life for selfish pursuits? Why live your life for the world? Why live your life for what is passing away? Why not live your life for what lasts into eternity? Here are two passages of scripture that talk about judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what, what he has done, whether good or bad. Christ wipes away the sentence for the bad deeds, which is death. But what have you done for Jesus to be rewarded? And then this in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, this is the theme verse for the, uh, the uh, dramatic production I did for 20 years called House of Judgment. It is appointed for everyone once to die and then comes judgment. But it continues, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So yes, we will go through judgment, but the judge is also our defense attorney. Have you ever been to court? Anybody ever been to court? Did you have an attorney or did you represent yourself? 
If you represented yourself, you had a fool for an attorney. <laughs> okay, that's what they say. I didn't make that up, all right? You go to court, you have somebody represent you. You have a, you know, hopefully a, 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 as good an attorney as you can afford that will represent you, all right? But what would happen if the judge stepped down from behind his desk, okay, took off his robe and stood beside you as your attorney. That's what Jesus does for us. Outside of Christ, we stand condemned. In Christ, there is no more condemnation. Again, this is another good memory verse for you. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus? None. None. Be assured, Jesus is the only way to escape the judgment of God upon sinful human beings. Acts 4.12, uh, Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men or people by which we must be saved. Let's move to verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world... And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. Oh, I've seen this for years. Okay, I was a youth minister for many, many years. I'd have, you know, young people in my youth group and they start off, you know, fresh-faced and you know, wide-eyed and paying attention. You know, they're, they're coming to youth group all the time and coming to church and going to camp. But then something happens. They go through puberty. They start getting on the other side of puberty. They start, you know, gaining interest, sexual interest. Well, that's not a bad thing. Temptation is not sin. But then they decide to give in to that temptation. And I have seen the sweetest young people in the world whose hearts are hardened like concrete. Their faces become hard. They don't want to come to church anymore. They don't want to come to youth group. I don't believe all that stuff anymore. Well, the stuff hasn't changed. You have, right? Your heart changes when you give yourself over to sin. You don't want to be in the light when you're doing dirty deeds, most of the time, people that do wrong, and definitely if they believe what they're doing is wrong, they do it in the dark, okay? You know, you go to a, you know, a, a bar and, you know, people are trolling for, you know, a sexual partner or getting drunk or whatever. It's usually pretty dark in there, right? That's just kind of the way it is. Most murders happen at night, Crime mostly happens in the dark when uh, on various occasions there have been blackouts and brownouts, uh, very famously in New York in the 70s. Horrific crime happens. People just cut loose, man, in the dark. People do dirty deeds in the dark. Jesus is the light of the world. That's what he says in John 8, 12. He taught and lived the truth. His is the life that defines God's glorious standard for human beings. You don't define right and wrong for yourself. Jesus defined it with his life. The law defined it in the Old Testament. Jesus becomes the law of God, the, what the law was intended to be, and lives that out. 
So we follow him and we will be what he wants us to be. We will be what he intended. That is what God, the father, the creator intended human beings to be. But if you're living outside that standard, you're living in sin. And remember, what is sin? What is sin? Sin is falling short of God's glorious standard. You want to hear something? I don't know if you want to consider this ironic or appropriate, but as I was typing this, Okay, here's the sentence. Remember, sin is falling short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, all right? I kept messing up on my typewriter. I have been typing for most of my life and I still have no ability to control these things right here. I made 15 mistakes and I got so mad that I picked my keyboard up and popped it against the desk. And I was like, well, that's sin right there, you goofball. But there it is, falling short, right? And, you know, if I'd have calmed down and slowed down, you know, I'd have been fine. But maybe that's, you know, the Lord wanted me to give that simple, silly example. But that's what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? Everybody, except Jesus. Okay. So that's you and I apart from Christ. We cannot live up to God's standard without believing in Jesus and being transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Sadly, most people will reject Christ. They do. They refuse to come to his light. Why? They don't want their sinful lifestyles to be shown. Their actions are evil, but they don't want to be convicted of that reality. They would rather go on and sin willfully rather than acknowledge the truth. Few people are willing to admit they are wrong. Most would rather justify themselves than repent, have a change of heart, have a change of mind, have a change of lifestyle and action. Most people would rather justify themselves than repent and receive justification through Christ. That's where Christ makes you right. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what Jesus does for us through his death on the cross. Down deep, these people may recognize that their lifestyles are wrong, so they stay away from anyone and any place that might expose them. They stay away from Bible-teaching churches. They reject the word of God in favor of the indoctrination of the Antichrist culture. They may live under a cloud of guilt, struggling daily with cognitive dissonance. Look that one up, okay? They're deeply unhappy, depressed, anxious, even though they may put on a happy face and have, you know, these uh, positive posts online. Confessing sin and putting faith in Jesus results in forgiveness. Instead, these people would rather lie to themselves and others about the reality of sin. Our world is filled with people such as this. I hope you're not one of them. John 3.21, last verse that we're going to look at tonight. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be revealed as having been performed in God. Practices the truth. I like that. Truth is absolute and unchanging because it comes from the immutable God. God doesn't change, so his word doesn't change. Jesus embodies the truth. What did Jesus say of himself a little later in John? For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ then embodies the truth, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Culture changes. 
Society changes. People change. The truth does not. Opinions of people do not alter the truth. Followers of Jesus practice the truth. They live by it. Living in accordance with the truth, that's what it means to practice the truth, will put you in opposition to our culture that rejects biblical truth. To practice the truth means more than agreeing with it, mental assent. It means living it out, following Jesus who is the truth. We who seek to live right want to come to the light of the world. Man, you want to follow Jesus. You want to be near Jesus. You want to worship. You want to be around God's people. You want to read the word. You want, <clears throat> when you make a mistake, you want to confess it, right? I mean, I do that all the time in this, you know, group. You know, when I make a mistake in traffic or with my keyboard or something like, I want to get it out there. I want you to know that's not what I want to be. That's, you know, confession to the Lord, um, results in forgiveness. Confession to one another results in healing, okay? We want to let let our light shine. Jesus said, let your light so shine before people that they will see your good deeds and glorify who? You? No, your Father who is in heaven. We want to read and follow the word of God. We want to be in constant fellowship with a community of Christ followers. We want to take a stand for the truth in this dark world. We want to live openly and only for what is right, regardless of people's opinions, right? We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. You know, there's another way to look at that. It's to hunger and thirst for justice. We want everyone to be treated correctly, rightly, properly, okay? Um, we, uh, we seek to be peacemakers in the world. Now, this is, these are all, this is all coming out of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, but they will be called the sons of God, Jesus said. We offer mercy even to our enemies and our persecutors, right? Um, Jesus, once again, said, blessed are the merciful, right? Jesus said, once again, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. We offer mercy even to our enemies. We do justice, we love mercy, and we walk humbly with our God. That's Micah 6, 8. Is this you? Is that what you seek to be? I'm not saying you're perfect right now. You've arrived. But is that the direction you're moving or not? Are you hiding in the dark? Are you hiding certain parts of your life in the dark? I'll conclude with this. And this is also from John our author who wrote 1 John, the little letter at the end of the Bible, um, shortly before Revelation, 1 John 5, excuse me, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Thank you for joining us online. We appreciate it, and we hope to see you Sunday. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewillchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, you can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service 
that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically, all you need to do is text the word LifeWell from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list, and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.